Welcome to the ESNIC podcast series, your window into the vibrant world of pediatric and neonatal critical care. As the European Society for Pediatric and Neonatal Critical Care, we proudly present this podcast series that offers unique insights into our 14 diverse scientific sections. In each episode, we invite you to join us as we explore the remarkable work being carried out within each section. Get ready to dive deep into innovative practices and compelling stories that define the fields led by our esteemed section chairs. Hello, my name is Akash Deep. I'm a pediatric intensivist at King's College Hospital in London, and I'm the chair of scientific affairs for the European Society of Pediatric and Neonatal Intensive Care, ESPNIC, and I'll be the host for this episode. So today I'll be speaking to a world-renowned researcher who's got a special interest in neurocritical care. Dr. Carl Shetler. He's the Chief of Neonatology and Pediatric Intensive Care in the Children's Hospital St. Marion's in Lancet, and he's the current Chair of Neurocritical Care section of ESPNEC. Welcome, Carl, to this podcast. Hi, everyone. Hi, Akash. Uh, thank you very much for this kind introduction. It's great to be here. Perfect. Carl, you've been at the forefront of a number of neurocritical care initiatives. Can you please tell the audience about your journey in neurocritical care and your involvement in ESPNEC? Oh, sure. Uh, gosh, this is a long time ago. <laughs> it started, I think, about 18 years ago when I was visiting Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, there they had the first cool cap trials uh, that participated in that and, and kept going. I was quite young then and was so fascinated about the, the, this whole cooling thing and um, the, the AEG monitoring that was involved and totally new at that time there that I got so much interested in the field that I took all this information with me over to Germany and uh, basically started in my hospital when nobody ever thought about doing real neurocritical care or uh, in any way specializing on it. Uh, give that more focus. And, and so we started the journey basically in, in Germany, also with newer monitoring, which was at that time basically quite new and not used there. And we brought it into our uh, local societies and, and started doing education. And so, yeah, that's how the journey basically started. And from there on, um, with the education came research projects on, on using it then more in, in pediatric patients and so forth. Then on the second half, so to speak, by doing the neuromonitoring, I got interested in using it in the cardiac surgery patients, which then got me in a, so to speak, in my second half of life into pediatric cardiology and intensive care there. And uh, yeah, that's basically how the journey began and how it progressed. And, and, and I'm glad that it still continues. And, and I think it's still a lot of exciting things to do in, in the whole field of neurointensive care for us. Thank you, Carl. Very fascinating. And you know, I, as I said, I keep seeing lots of advertisements and your involvement in lots of webinars you guys are doing from your section. You have a very active section. So can you please tell us what surveys, what research projects, what education projects have you planned for your section in the coming, say, six to 12 months? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's very kind of you saying that we are so active. Actually, we started um, we took, when we took over as chair and with Shruti Agrawal as co-chair, the first thing we started doing is starting a webinar series, which we then started in the mid of 2022. Uh, the first was on, on neuromonitoring in cardiac surgery patients and in intensive care. And uh, we are about to do our seventh webinar now in May, which will be about data collection and derivatives in neuro ICU. So 
As you can see, we have a very broad field in our webinars from basic clinical things to also research interesting things. I'm glad to say that this was a huge success. And at some points we and, and talks, we had over a thousand registrants, and which was totally amazing. I was totally shocked about that. And uh, I'm, I'm also glad to be able to say that we will have a second season going on because initially we started until this next talk and uh, we will definitely make a second season with more interesting stuff. In terms of research, um, when we, the section well, last year and, and uh, already started like three years ago, we did a seizure study, uh, which was called a what seizure study, which was basically a survey of seizure monitoring capabilities across the United Kingdom and Europe. And, and my former uh, fantastic chair of the, of the neurointensive care section, Barney Schofield, uh, was very, very active in that and also published it uh, together with Tracy, and it, that came out of our ethnic group. We continued that then in research with a lot of interesting things that we are pursuing. One, uh, as I might say, is that we were exchanging each other's experts within the section about how a, a database, a good database for neuromonitoring should look like for research purposes. And, uh, and the, the whole idea behind that was that using that, that great opportunity that ASPENIC gives you as kind of a collective of different countries that we are able to talk to each other and discuss how that database should look like so that each country or each, let's so to speak, a national center who does research in that field can set up a database and later on we can put the data easier together because we, we were all set set up basically on the on the same design. Other thing that we are pursuing is, is about TBI registers. Basically a lot of going on, but we are still very open also to other uh, research ideas because this is also a very important part for uh, our section that we want to continue to evolve basically. That's, as I said, very fascinating and, and uh, very, uh, we all should learn from how other sections should learn, actually, as I said, how you guys have been very proactive in education. So thank you. Well, as, as you just mentioned about EEG and talking about amplitude integrated EEG in critical care, can you please tell us what exactly it is? When would you recommend using it in critical care? How easy or difficult it is to use and interpret by health by critical care workers? And what information can be get from this modality? I know there are a lot of questions, but you can just summarize in the way you want to. Yeah, great. Well, the question is very kind of you because this is kind of the topic I could talk for hours about because I'm, as I said, it started many, many years ago where I got excited for this and uh, and I can say I'm still excited today. Um, well, basically, again, to explain to our listeners is that AEG is a, a certain type, let's say, of method to visualize a raw EEG, uh, two channels of raw EEG, and they're processed in a certain way where you basically give up on the frequency and display amplitudes, and it makes it more easy visually to read and, and is so more accessible also for beginners and, and the early residents in the unit to detect seizures and, and to say something about brain activity. It can easily be used. Initially, it was used mainly for uh, in the cool cap trial, for example, for asphyxiated newborns, uh, hypoxic damages, prognostic in, in that reasons, and then used for seizure detection. It can also be very well 
be used for monitoring seizure therapy, so anti-epileptic therapy, because if you if you can do, and that's the beauty of AEG, that it is more of a long-term technique. So easy, for example, in pooling patients to monitor the patient continuously for five full days, uh, which is much easier to do with the AEG than with a full EEG, for example, because there you have a lot of data and, and it's not so easy to interpret. So that was the basic starting point. And then it kind of popped up over the years and, and we got more and more fantastic indications where we could use it. Uh, we ourselves in a unit showed in one patient that was a muscle relaxating medication who had nothing to do with uh, any type of brain damage, but was basically very uh, hemodynamically instable and, and sick uh, that by neuromonitoring, we were able to detect his going into a seizure and, and treat him more appropriate where nobody else would have thought about a, a brain problem. So other indications came then to preterm infants. Uh, that was kind of the next step uh, where people used it more extensively. And now we are basically in the phase, I would say, where we are expanding it more and more into the pediatric intensive care group, where you can also use it for hypoxic damages, seizures, all kinds of things, and uh, metabolic diseases, for example, brain edema, really the, the countless possibilities. So in our days, you basically cannot say use it for that diagnosis and only for that diagnosis. I think still it's now easy to say that within the whole set of neonatology and pediatric intensive care, if you think about indications, it's not so, so difficult to find good indications because we do have guidelines, of course, some are from, from the adult world, but we do have good guidelines published on which patients should get neuromonitoring. And it is now up to us basically to adopt these guidelines and, and say, yes, we, we do accept these guidelines and use those in pediatric intensive care. So if I have an unknown reason for unconsciousness, in meningitis, for example, of course, the patient needs um, uh, some kind of neuromonitoring because he can be in a non-convulsive status epilepticus. And uh, what I still see is that even though we've done this now for so many years, many of the intensivists, except the very highly specialized neuro ICUs, the brain was still something which was more a little bit in the back. Most were fascinated and concentrating on hemodynamics. And, and pulmonary things. And then basically what came out of the brain was had to be accepted. You know, there was not a big idea of this is something where maybe I can intervene something or treat the seizures earlier and things like that. And that is still a process that I'm amazed that it's still going on. I thought it would or hoped it would have gone faster amongst our intensivist community, but it's still going on in each single hospital and I think it, it will still need some time to you kind of you know kind of penetrate into the smaller units, but it is there. Uh, everybody who's using neuromonitoring has, uh, as far as I've been told and, and experienced, fantastic experiences with their patients and improvement of therapy. And I think this is the the driving force behind the whole idea of neurointensive care and neuro monitoring uh, with AEG or EEG, whatever you kind of method you then you use, is that you see a result for your patient and an improvement, and, and that is kind of the best drive you can get. 
So this is the point I think where we are standing right now. And I'm very happy to see that we are enlarging this, um, this whole idea of neuromonitoring also more and more into the pediatric patient group and not only in, in certain research centers and, and university hospitals, but also more, you know, on the broad base of all hospitals. Thank you, Carl. As I had anticipated, it's a device which I'm sure will help a clinician making very important decision tools. So you also, I see, are organizing a workshop on, on yeah. <laughs> at Athens. So can you tell us more about this workshop and why should delegates join this workshop? Oh, sure. It's uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for bringing this up because this is kind of a personal baby of mine that, that I love to promote. Uh, it will be in the ne uh, next ethnic conference in Athens. And uh, we will have kind of a workshop, a full day workshop or masterclass, how you want to call it, which basically only the full day you will learn about neuromonitoring with AEG uh, as well in pediatric intensive care, as well as in neonatology. And, and it goes through, basically, you will learn everything from the basics. So you will learn how to read the AG. You will learn what are the differences between the neonates and the pediatric intensive cares. What are the normal values? You will learn how to detect artifacts, uh, which is very important. And then we will also have a hands-on workshop. So where you will see and learn, touch and feel all the different types of electrodes that are available. You will learn what their advantages and disadvantages are. And you will also learn to apply them yourselves. So this is the hands-on part. And we will also have a lot of interaction in terms of cases, where you present cases and, and you, you get to think for yourself, what is the background pattern? What would I have do differently or what is the next step? And within that frame, you will learn also everything about the neuromonitoring with AG that is known so far in terms of research for the different diagnoses. You will learn how to use it in, in seizures. You will learn how to use it in the cardiac intensive care. You will learn how to use it for hypoxia and so on and so on. You will learn how to even use it then in preterm infants. So this is kind of a really full day getting you ready for neuromonitoring with AEG and being able to use it and knowing how much it can do. And I'm really to get, again, first of all, for some starting point, but I think it is also for those who were already doing some AEG and great opportunity to learn more indications and to get themselves up to using it more and more. Because what I do know from, from uh, my research I've done, for example, in Germany, is that we do have a large group of people already using the AEG, for example, in neonatology, but still most of them uh, who use it are still using it only for hypoxia and, and seizures. And this is only kind of the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, of, of what you can do with the method. And I think the workshop will be a fantastic chance for you to get the idea of what else you can do with it and really broaden your spectrum. And so uh, we will do this together with Shruti Akrawal, my co-chair, and uh, Katrin Kleber-Masrehoff from the University of Vienna. Very Also, both are very good friends of mine. And uh, with Katrin from Vienna, we've done those workshops a lot of times, many times in, in Germany uh, and around the world. 
And we, we've done them, I don't know, a hundred times or even more. So we do have some experience in doing this. And I'm pretty sure it will be a fantastic experience. And I'm very looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm sure you are looking forward to it, but I'm sure we all are looking forward to it. <laughs> I'll be very busy in the conference, but I'll make sure I'll definitely pop in because one of my areas of interest, as you know, is liver and hepatic encephalopathy. And I would be very keen to know as to what you guys talk about the EET modality is how can that be useful in picking up hepatic encephalopathy? Yeah, and we'll be also grateful for your input uh, to it. We want to do this uh, interactive and uh, people should have should have any chance to to bring in their own experiences and their own points of views because this is how, how it works best. Everybody has a certain viewpoint from his uh, life or experience in medicine. And I think we will we can find out great things that way. So you're happily invited and we're so much looking forward to your input. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. So lastly, Carl, you know, we have heard about your great works, which, which you do in neurocritical care. But in addition to your research and uh, interest in neurocritical care, you are a true leader as well. And can you please tell us what your current leadership role is in your hospital and how do you balance your research and management role? Oh, wow. This is, a, first, think of all, so much for the compliment. I'm not sure if I would call myself a leader a lot in any way, but I can tell you how I approach the whole thing in my life and uh, with work. It is, uh, well, I'm, I am leading a department, a rather large department, because we have two intensive care units, separate intensive care units, each with one with their own uh, shift system, two different places. So, and, and I'm trying to lead this in an environment which has become very, very challenging in Germany uh, due to the lack of nurses and also now the lack of doctors. The way we approach it, first of all, is uh, by uh, having good education on the way. Everyone who's trained with us in our unit gets a really, really good education, has met a lots of offers uh, to learn things. Uh, second is atmosphere. I'm, I'm a strong supporter of thinking that you can work best if you have a good atmosphere, a good spirit, so to speak, in, in your unit. So, under my, so when I took over the leadership, the first thing I started to do is, you know, make annual events with the group and the people so they come together more and, and you really form up a team and that has improved. Uh, extremely. The, when I took over, the, the unit was very desperate because they lost so much personnel continuously dropping out and uh, and that just the team spirit uh, increased the whole thing so much and, and people did not want to leave anymore from the unit. So that was also very helpful. Uh, in terms of research, then comes, well, you have to be organized. That is uh, something I can always uh, keep telling me. If you're not organized, you will not manage it because you will lose yourself in chaos and um, and find good people and work together with good people. It's never a one-person effort. So same thing with research. Uh, I found good uh, residents who were interested. You need to support them. You need to give them opportunities. And, and that's basically how it works. And then the third part is uh, has become more and more important for myself also is as I'm also deputy director of the hospital and, and of the Department of Pediatrics uh, was to, you know, have the extra time I have to, to bring that approach to the rest of the hospital. And uh, so far we were doing good. It's again, it's very challenging, but this is what I do. And then 
finally, so to speak, uh, again, first thing is keep the good spirit up. Feel comfortable yourself, then you can work a lot, much, much more than uh, you would do with a with a bad, let's say, atmosphere or anything like that. Uh, and finally, I love to mention because this is kind of the second part of my life is, uh, is find something outside of work which you love and gives you the relaxation and new mindset and. For me, this is uh, my wife and my horses. <laughs> and so whenever I'm not in work, I'm, I'm working with horses and the rest of my life, I'm sleeping. So this is basically, uh, if I could say so, the description of my leadership. <laughs> I, I see your lovely pics on Facebook all the time. <laughs> I follow you on, on Facebook. So Carl, thank you so very much, my friend. It's always been a pleasure and revelation speaking to you. We wish you all the best in what you're doing for Aspenic and Neurocritical Care. And we thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you so much, Akash, for, for having me. It's such a pleasure working together with you and everyone at Aspenic. They are so kind. And this is also, uh, as I say, atmosphere. And the atmosphere is fantastic in, in Aspenic. And everybody who listens to this, join us uh, together. This is great working collaboration. And there's so many great things that we could do. Uh, we just need to talk. So as I also keep to saying, everybody in my section, anybody can contact me anytime, talk to me, exchanging ideas. And that's what ESTMIC is all about. And that's why I'm so proud of ESTMIC. And that's why I'm so active in ESTMIC. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.